1: Follow us on Instagram at FromTheShadowsPodcast. We have a YouTube channel. Go to the search bar of YouTube and put FromTheShadowsPodcast and please subscribe to that channel. We are also on the Odyssey Radio Network and we can be found there at OdysseyOne.com. We're still on the traditional podcatchers that everybody loves to listen to us on. We get a lot of feedback, so please rate the podcast and communicate with uh, whether you're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Google Podcasts. We're there, and we appreciate it when you leave comments for us. We also have a Patreon page. It can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash from the shadows. You can receive books, stickers, coffee mugs, and special content just for our Patreon subscribers. Check it out for yourself and see what packages that we have to offer. Well, that's all I have for you right now, folks. And thanks for being a part of the From the Shadows podcast family. So with that being said, Let's get this episode started.
2: Hey, welcome everyone to this episode of the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove. And joining me deep in the bowels of the From the Shadows podcast studios is the judge. Good morning, everyone. We're waiting for everyone to repeat. Good morning. We don't, Not we don't hear him. And somewhere in uh, in Central Ohio is Jason, the super producer. Jason, what's happening this morning?
1: Greetings. I'm doing well. It's rainy over here where I'm at.
2: It's raining here too as well. But uh, we're excited this morning because um, we have a prolific author, and I do say prolific of of uh, as the judge describes the quintessential bathroom reader. Bathroom reader, uh, Jason Offit. Did I pronounce that right? Yep, you got it.
3: All right, all right. So we're really excited to have Jason on. Um, I purchased Jason's book, Chasing American Monsters, Over 250 Creatures, Cryptids, and Hairy Beasts. It really is the quintessential bathroom reader. It sits either on top or on bottom
2: sometimes with Ken Gerhardt's book. Um, and it's... Uh, you, you know, the judge didn't tell me that it was his bathroom reader until after I had picked it up and was checking out. Hey, listen, just use hand sanitizer, man. We, we live in an era
3: of COVID, always have hand sanitizer. But no, Jason, I'm super excited to have him on today. Uh, I picked up his book a while back. And uh, for anyone out there who's interested in cryptids, creatures, monsters, this is a must-have book because it breaks down every state State by state, alphabetical order, and um, it, it highlights, you know, the main cryptid or monsters from each state. So it's a really cool, you know, quick reader. Um, go out, pick it up if you haven't. Um, I love the book. Like I said, it sits right there with Ken Gerhardt,
2: Nick Redford's books. But, but before we really dig into some of the stories in the book... Judge, the reason that we contacted Jason was...
3: Well, uh, I saw Jason on TV. Uh, I can't remember whether it was Monsters in America or Terror in the Woods, one of those shows, and a fascinating story about a cryptid. I wouldn't wouldn't call it a cryptid. A fascinating creature that we've never talked about on our show that gets very little airtime but is really, really super creepy and cool and that is the evil gnome. So, Jason, um, you got involved in a story out of California involving an evil gnome. You want to tell our listeners how you got involved and how it all, and the cool part is how all the dots connect. It really freaked me out.
4: Yeah, the, the connected part, and it, it was Monsters and Mysteries in America that had that had that segment about the gnomes. God. yeah uh i was uh, I was contacted by by a woman named uh tammy um who had this story and it was like, yeah this is a great crazy story uh and and it got more validity to it as, as it went on but uh her story was she moved her uh her and her children she had two daughters and and a, and a young son uh to a house uh outside uh, out in the country uh, by, by, by a river in, in California, the tool river.
2: And I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, we and, had your last name, right? That's all we're cared about. That's, that's all I care about. Story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's go with that. My last name.
4: Um, anyway, she, it, it was, it was nice that there was, there was, there was a shed on the property along. I mean, it was a two bed, two, two story house, an old older farmhouse. farmhouse There was a shed on the property. There was a barn and you know the river was was right there so they could go walk down to the river and fish or skip stones or whatever but there was uh something kind of kind of off about about the the shed on the property uh it, it gave tammy and her kids the creeps uh the, their dog and, and cats tended to avoid it whenever they walked anywhere near it they would you know the animals would, would take a wide berth um and they just, you know, they they really didn't know what to think about it. Um, they also had some they had some chickens and ducks, and and those things started disappearing, and and they weren't sure why. They thought maybe coyotes, um, but then one day, uh, Tammy had gone to the grocery store with her son, or her two daughters were at home, and when she was unloading the the, the car, she heard a chuckle, and and she she looked up, and standing by the shed. Was a little man about I don't know two and a, two two and a half feet tall, and it was a typical you know coffee table book gnome. It you know with gnomes standing out, on, you know in the garden. With The red hat sticking up and all that stuff. Yep, red hat, uh, red hat sticking up. Uh, weren't white beard.
2: Velocity commercial were they? <laughs>
4: no.
2: Okay. Um, okay.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah. The 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 red pointed hat, the the beard, uh, a gold tunic and and brown pants. It wasn't wearing any shoes, but this thing was staring at her and 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 chuckling this this evil laugh, and of course it scared the hell out of her, and she left the groceries, grabbed her kid, and, and ran into the house, and shut shut the door. And her daughters were like, well, "What? what's going on? And, and she's like, get down, duck, duck, duck. So they, they all ducked in the kitchen. And, and then they heard something outside and they saw the gnome's pointed hat in the window of the kitchen. And it went from window to window to window until, until it was gone. And, and the, the, one of the weird things was that those windows were about 10 feet off the ground. And what? right, so I mean, the that, gnome
3: was levitating, or had a very large hat,
4: something <laughs> like that. And um, they were terrorized for a while. They they didn't see it again, but they would hear its laugh, and and you know, little mischievous things would would happen. And you know, finally, they they had it. Tammy had, had enough, and she left. You know. Uh, I, I thought that was the end of the story, and until a, a woman, uh, she went by Charlie, uh, she read my story. That, that it's it's funny because um, the name the name of your show um, was the is is the name of a uh, paranormal newspaper column that I wrote for about five years called It Was From the Shadows. <laughs> oh, and, wow! <laughs> yeah. And 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 that's where the gnome story first appeared. And and when it um, you know when it was online, this woman named Charlie read it, and she was like, "Oh, oh my God, I've, this this happened to me." So she relayed to me, contacted me, and related to, to me the story of her and and her husband. She was pregnant, um, and her and her husband uh, moved to this farmhouse out in the country, the the Tule River. Was going, you know, was was right through the property. There was a there was a shed in the barn on the on the on the property, and she was like, "This is this is just so similar," and and they started having these problems too. They started, um, you know, they they had a couple of dogs that were spooked by by this shed. The shed creeped everybody out. Um, a couple of things happened. One was they heard uh, a screeching coming out of the shed, um, and they you know she went to investigate. And she found a cat uh, that was still alive, but had been in a hell of a fight, and it was missing its hind quarters. Oh, so geez. she called for her husband, and for her husband to come, because she was not going in the shed, and her husband came out, and um, he's like, okay, we, I, it, something happened. I've got I've to put this out of its misery and bury it. And they left and, and got a shovel and came back. She didn't want to stand by that shit by herself. And when they came back, the cat was gone. And there was no way it could have moved moved itself. Um, and then other little things after she had her her babies, little things, um, you know, kept happening. Things things started missing, disappearing outside. They they put a koi pond in, and the koi kept disappearing. And they thought it was raccoons or something, so they put a uh, a light up, uh, you know, motion sensor light. And one night, the motion sensor light popped on, and Tammy and her husband looked out, and there was a little man standing out by the koi pond. He had, you know, just just what uh, you know, just like T- Tammy had said. Charlie and her husband saw um, he was wearing a red conical hat, gold tunic, brown pants. He had a beard, and he was about two to three feet tall, and he was holding one of their fish. And it looked up at them and saw them looking at, at at it, and it grinned really big and bit the head off of the fish. And they freaked out and called called the police. They called the local sheriff. Uh, they didn't tell the local sheriff there was a gnome outside eating their koi, but they said that there was you know a trespasser on the property. And 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 the cops came out and and looked around and they didn't see anything except. Footprints uh, from what looked like I don't know about an eight to nine year old kid, uh, about that size, were all around, all around the koi pond. Um, again, they didn't say anything about about the gnome. They they later took all the the rest of the fish and and they had uh, like a, they they had like little stone stone uh, pieces of art out there, like a frog and and a gnome, which is funny. And they took all that <laughs> stuff inside. They they put the fish in a uh, you know put the fish in, in in a tank and and one night they heard screaming and, and the light came on and they looked outside from and, and they saw this this gnome. and he was standing by the empty pond, just screaming. and then he ran toward the house and and this freaked them out. They lived out in the country, so they often left their doors unlocked, and they ran downstairs to lock the doors. And the gnome it sounded like it was running around the house really fast and uh, it was screeching the whole way. And then all of a sudden, Tammy or Charlie's husband remembered the dog door and he rushed into the kitchen just as the door was starting to pull open and and he kicked it and and the thing screeched and and he was able to to throw the bolt down on the door so it couldn't get in. But they moved the doggy door. Yeah, it was trying to crawl through the doggy door, and and they moved quickly quickly after that. Um, these two cases were way too similar to 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 not be connected. So I, I put these these two women together. I, I put them in contact with each other, and they went out, and and they'd lived in this. It was the same house. <laughs> It It's the same house. Oh my God. It was the same house. They, they lived in the same house. It was the same gnome. Um, the woman who lived in the house at that point didn't, um, didn't want to talk to them, but they looked around the property and, and the only thing really different was a, uh, the, the shed had been torn down. Um, they they went there were a few other houses in the area they went to and, and nobody knew anything wasn't they weren't going to talk. But there was an old woman who lived in a trailer really, you know, about about a half a mile away from the house. And she said that she's been, you know, animals have been messing with the house and getting in. And and, uh, you know, one of them took a crap on her on her in the middle of her living room. <laughs>
2: they don't know if it's the gnome or not, but uh, yeah, it might be. Cool. Uh, well, normally, an animal doesn't break into a trailer to go take a— to, to, take to
3: it Unless it happened to have a copy of the quintessential there. bathroom reader on the
4: copy. Right, it's
3: right. So, Jason, I mean, yeah. when you hear this, were you intrigued enough to say, listen, I want the address of this house because I want to go out there and do a stakeout and see if I can see this gnome?
4: You know what? I, I would if I lived in California, but Missouri to California is a hell of a drive. I, mean, I, I wasn't going to do that staff, <laughs> you? yes I have heard of airplanes I have heard of airplanes but I'm, I'm also uh, I'm a teacher by day oh, so okay. Okay. yeah. hey kids
3: we're going to take this real creepy field trip some of you may not <laughs> yeah. climb on the bus
4: <laughs> I, I did take well I, I teach at a university I did take a, a group of students on a field trip to the Villisca Iowa axe murder house once you know it was the best field trip ever
2: <laughs> oh man! Bet you're the best teacher ever, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I don't darn straight. So, so, how? Well, the, okay. So, so back to the gnome story, though. So, is that the end of it? Like, they figured out it was the same house, and that's it. Nobody wanted to that, talk. Nobody investigated, or, or right at that at that point, that that was it. Um,
4: I, I did. I did go. Um, you know, to the the extent of looking up. Um, you know, doing some research on, uh, on gnomes. And I mean, it's, it's something that's fairly creatures of that size are fairly world, of worldwide, not necessarily with the, with the conical hat and everything. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, a professor I interviewed, Oh, I'm trying to remember what university, this has been a few years ago, but he's, uh, an expert on, uh, Scandinavian mythology. Um, uh, it, because his family came from Sweden, his grandma still lives in Sweden. And, and he said that his his grandma would still live, leave milk out uh, at night for the tomtars. The tomtar is the name of, of gnomes in in Sweden. And and she was worried that if she didn't leave, you know, milk out, which was a present for them, that, um, you know, that, that, that they would, you know, do mischief, like uh, Ty could, uh, cow's tails together or you know kill the car battery or, or, or whatnot and I mean these are these are stories throughout throughout Europe about that specific entity and and in different cultures they leave beer out for them or, or food um, you know, still because they're you know generally generally concerned about uh, about
2: about the gnomes well it's I I mean it's obvious listening to these ladies stories that they're not very hospitable little creatures. I mean, if I mean, he seemingly was mad that his food so easy food right. source of the koi pond was was gone. You know, and I, I think Jason, if
3: I remember correctly, I, I read um, an article that you'd put on um, in the publication about this. And I, if correct me if I'm wrong, is didn't the gnome shoot the second lady the middle finger? Oh yeah. I'd forgotten about that, yes. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, so what's interesting about that is a couple things. One is they both saw the same thing. So I'm thoroughly convinced they both saw the same creature, this gnome. Uh, If this was one single person, say, hey, listen, I saw this gnome. He gave me the middle finger. I'd be like, this person's on shrooms or meth. (laughs) But the fact that they both saw the same creature described it the same way, the clothes were the same way. um, It did not know they were at the same house. It did not know they were at the same house convinces me um, in a court of law, I guess that, that this thing's real. So I guess the question to beg the question, these things obviously would know, that a middle finger, the universal salute, <laughs> you know. is it was an insult. You know what I'm saying? So, how intelligent are these things that they would know our social mores to understand that giving someone the middle finger uh, uh, is is an insult? But yeah,
2: dress in such a but dress. I mean, what awful action, way with a red pointed hand. I mean, that's just terrible. Yeah, Any I mean, look, it's current, current in their dress.
4: Right. Well, I mean, if if these if these things are real and then and and I'm going to going to take a step back to, to something else that you said that I agree with completely with 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 the first lady telling me this story, I'm like, yeah, this is a fun story. The second person talking to me, I'm like, wait a second, there is something to this. All right. But if if these things exist, they apparently exist around us. And if they exist around us, someplace that we can't, you know, readily see them, uh, who knows how many are watching us. And, and if they're watching us, they learn things.
3: Well, the other thing is, how old are these things? You know what I mean? So uh, mm-hmm. we actually have a following from Iceland and uh, Sweden. And Sweden. Denmark, so, Norway. So, so. Um, our Icelandic and Swedish and. Uh, Scandinavian European listeners out there, if you're listening, shoot us an email or get a hold of of, uh, Grover and and tell us some cool stories. Because, you know, we've done a little bit of research on the Faye and different things like that. And I guess the question is, you know, how old do these things get? I mean, are these things three, four, five hundred years old? I mean, um, do they have a normal lifespan? And how did this one particular gnome end up in California? I mean, obviously, he could have gotten a shipping crate. I mean, mean, who who knows?
2: Well, I've heard, and Jason, in doing research, have you, because I'm I'm an avid listener to the Sasquatch Chronicles, and uh, Wes has had a couple Native Americans on there telling stories about the Native Americans' experiences with what they call little people. And how they're pranksters and pulling, you know, pulling jokes and tricks and like the same thing, pulling their car battery cables out and hiding their keys and, and doing stuff. So, and they just, they know they exist. They've existed as long as there's been Native Americans in right. in our land. So have you run across any of those stories and do any of them seem similar in nature as to what these people in California experienced?
4: Oh well uh yes um not not exactly to the ones in in California but to, to go back to something i said earlier about about you know these stories being all over the place i mean in in iceland you mentioned iceland um there are you know there's a long tradition of uh, of elves and you know boulder fields are are apparently a place where they live and there are cases to where you know they won't put they won't build a road through where they think elves live they won't build a house on 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 a spot where they believe elves live because they don't want to offend offend these creatures i mean that that's to this day there are little people stories all over the planet um the ones in uh the native american stories i find particularly interesting because we have um I'm trying to remember the name uh, with, with uh, so we have the puck <laughs> so wudgies. many. That's where I was going. The puck wudgies. All right. Puck wudgies, Thank you. Puck are, are, you know, about the same, about the same height as, as this gnome around two to three foot feet tall. Um, they have bows and arrows. They uh, are mischievous. They will, you know, lead people, uh, you know, through the woods, possibly over a cliff. They will help people if uh, you know if, if if the people are worthy. Uh, they can turn invisible and start start random fires, and and the arrows that they shoot uh, are, are, are poison. All of those things I just mentioned are important because almost the exact same story of little people is spread across the United States, spread across North America. I mean, there are stories of, of, of little people like this in uh in you know in in the upper midwest in uh in idaho uh in utah uh they they go by different names and and sometimes the arrows are magic arrows as opposed to poison arrows but they're the same size they have the same abilities you know the invisible the fire how the heck did these stories get from the east all the way out to the west if there's not something to them you know, again, throughout Europe, uh, throughout. Um, well, let's talk about, and and this is this is one of those cases. It really ticks me off when, 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 when sign, I, I'm, I'm science. I'm scientific minded by nature, but it ticks me off when science ignores things that the indigenous people say, just because they think they're superstitious. Let's look to Indonesia. And there was long-standing stories of, of what was called the Ibu Gogo, which means grandmother who'll eat anything. And the stories were of diminutive people who would sneak into into villages and you know steal children and, and eat them. And apparently, on the Flores Island uh, in Indonesia, these these Ibu Gogo lived in in a cave. And and at one point the the villagers went and and killed all of them. Okay, yeah, great fun story says says science mm-hmm. until scientists actually discovered a cave where these skeletons <laughs> of two to three foot or they were like three foot tall humans were, and and they determined the three foot tall humans weren't weren't children. They were fully grown adults, and this is how tall they grew. So and they were dubbed the hobbits. They're are a new, uh, you know, type of type of uh, type of Homo sapien. All right, that was this that was solidified by by science on a local legend about little people. I mean, how many more of these these uh, these legends across the world can be can be proven if we just look hard enough? Well, it's the same thing as the, the
3: giant squid, and and there's there's a great story about <clears throat> excuse me. There's a great story about the sinking of the Lusitania, um, where, you know, the German U-boat sunk the Lusitania, which got us into the World War, and survivors that were floating in the water described a giant squid had came up and it is, were taking some of the survivors under the water. And not a single newspaper would run that story. They omitted every bit of that because, while well, you know, that's just fairy tales, folklore, it's, it's stories that sailors told their kids. And, and so no no publication would, would print that. Well, you fast forward, what, 60, 70 years, and lo and behold, we find out, oh, wow, we, we actually found a carcass of a giant squid. They, they really do exist. And so the the mere fact that, that science doesn't believe that something isn't real doesn't mean that it isn't real. And so, we come full circle, whether you're talking about gnomes or sasquatch or dogmen or anything like that. The, the mere fact that, that we don't have a body in and of itself does not make something not real.
4: Right. And oh, there, there are cases like that spread spread throughout history. I mean, the, the giant panda was thought to be a myth by Western science until we actually saw one. Uh, the same with the mountain gorilla. There were uh, stories. I mean, stories of uh, uh, a creature that was was part zebra, part giraffe, uh, and you know, in the Congo. And that sounded crazy until the the okapi was you know, was was seen by Western science. And
2: I mean, yeah, all was, these yeah. were in
4: the. In the 20th century is when
2: that happened. Yeah, I was going to say that all those discoveries have been within the last, what, 100, 150 years. Yeah.
3: yeah. What is more likely that there is a that there's a homo sapien that's about three foot tall that has existed for hundreds of thousands of years or a horse that has a 12-foot long neck? And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You start… You start looking at stuff from, from a zoological standpoint and you say, look, it's really not a far stretch that there hap- that, that there is a, you know, eight to ten foot, you know, uh, bipedal ape-like creature that's roaming, you know, the, the forest and, and whatever the world. When you look at it, I mean, look at a giraffe and you think to yourself, what in the hell is the odds that that is a creature? That it somehow made it through natural selection, you
4: know what I mean? Doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. Oh, Look geez, let's the... not even talk about the giraffe. Let's go with the platypus. I mean, that's the obvious one. Yeah. No. <laughs> Where the hell did that yeah. thing come from? You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, you're 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 it absolutely. It a wild
2: Saturday night somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, when whenever the uh, you know a British British scientists were first down in Australia and they. You know, and a naturalist sent a um, uh, stuffed they stuffed a platypus and sent it back to, to London. The people in London thought it was a joke. They they thought that 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 they were sent a beaver that had been fitted with a duck's bell. They they didn't cons- you know until they they saw a live one they didn't believe it. Yeah, yeah there was there's was another sure. um, uh, case. There's a case from Africa that that I really like to bring up. Um, you know, this whole the 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 indigenous people knowing <laughs> knowing things and, and and Western science not has to do with, with the Congo with in the Billy Forest, B I L I that the the locals had had told Westerners about these enormous chimpanzees that would sometimes walk on two legs, how with the moon, and they would, you know, they were capable of killing and eating leopards. And they also, um, you know, acted like gorillas at times. And you know, it's cute story until I think it was '96. It might have been '98 when science discovered the billy ape, which was an enormous chimp, is an enormous chimpanzee that yeah, makes, I think, nests like a gorilla.
3: Yeah, I think Joe and, and, had that on his podcast. Believe it or not. Yeah. Never, I, well, and they call them lion I killers. Mean,
4: why Then why, if this is real, that we found out this was real, are, are all these uh, Sasquatch stories discounted?
2: And yeah, especially, especially if that's something that is, that's is—that's not even 20 years ago, or 25 years ago, that, that, that those things have been proven to exist, right? The
4: right, 90s, right, six, absolutely. Yeah,
2: but yeah, let's exactly. look,
4: I, I think just to me on circumstantial evidence— that To me, there's really no doubt that, that Sasquatch is, is out there because if, if we're to believe what science tells us that – or historians tell us that um, at one point, the world's oceans were barriers. I, I personally don't believe that, but if the world's oceans were barriers, then the continents really didn't have that much contact with each other. So if that's the case, how come every continent has stories of Sasquatch? I mean, even Australia, for God's sake they've they've got the Yowie, which is basically a really pissed off American Sasquatch. <laughs> well, those... But that's sort of typical for Australians yeah. in
3: general. They're, yeah,
4: they're they mad about something. Yeah, well, yeah. Don't don't mess with Australians. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, the stories. There's stories uh, throughout Asia. You know, we've got the Yeren from China. We've got the Alma from uh, from from Russia. Uh, the Wild Man of the Forest from from Europe, of course, the Sasquatch. We've got stories of, of small, um, you know, smaller uh, ape men in, in South America. And then there's the uh, uh, Orang pindak from from mm-hmm. Borneo in that area. I mean, it's why are all these stories around through all these indigenous cultures? If there's not something to it, well, the interesting thing uh, that, that I find about it
3: is like Native American cave drawings and things like that. You know, Native Americans drew what they saw. And, and you look at some of these cave drawings, and, and, and there's buffalo, and there's antelope, there's you know fox, deer, and then sasquatch. You know I mean, it's like, okay, well, we know for certain five of the six are existed re- existed, in the Great exist on the Great Plains, okay? So why not the sixth? And, and, you know, the thing is, so so being a judge, and I'm actually a real judge, Jason didn't know that, you know, and I was a trial lawyer for 17 years, tried, you know, very, very serious criminal cases and and some civil cases. And the thing about the law is that the law is way ahead of science. I know this sounds funny, right? But the law is much further ahead than science, because in the law, you have two types of evidence. You have direct evidence and you have circumstantial evidence. And in a jury trial, I instruct a jury that circumstantial evidence is just as powerful as direct evidence, that you are allowed to consider circumstantial evidence just as if it's direct evidence. And and the, the silly story that we always usually tell juries is that, you know, if you come downstairs in the middle of the night and you find your child has, you know, uh, you had the last piece of, of blueberry pie is is in the refrigerator, and you come downstairs, and you see a blueberry stain on the kid's chin and shirt. You didn't actually have to see him eat the pie. You know, you don't actually have to actually right. see them do it. Yeah. And and so when you look at circumstantial evidence, you know, one the gnome stories are direct evidence. These are eyewitnesses. I <laughs> saw it. As whatever. But you just look at the circumstantial evidence around a lot of these cryptids and creatures and things like that, and it's overwhelming. Well, like
2: just just to s- somebody coming back with the cast of a 18-inch long <clears throat> footprint, that's, that, that's circumstantial evidence because you didn't see the thing make it? Right. Okay? That's circumstantial. But that's pretty, right. that's pretty yeah, direct mean, evidence <laughs> that there was something that stepped you know, right
4: now, yeah, but now can, well, and especially when you have uh forensic scientists who look at the dermal ridges on the foot and say, you know, this came from something real, it looks like uh, you know, a primate would make it, you know, primates including us too, but it's not human because well, there have I been was, those who've done that, yeah. Well, I was watching
3: uh, one of the Finding Bigfoots one time and. And Cliff was looking at at a at a print, and and one thing that, that he said that stuck out to me was that he knew that the print was was made by a biological creature, by the way the little toe on the one foot stuck out because and you could not fake that if you tried to put a, a you know a board together and try to stamp it because the way the the little toe on the one foot rolled, you know what I mean you could tell that there was. Mm-hmm. A, you know from a kinesiology standpoint that there that that thing you know walked and it rolled its foot as it did and if you were trying to stamp things and fake it that's just something it would be impossible to fake you know that right, right. that is really powerful circumstantial evidence that something made that print and then you you know you you take into the house and stuff like that so uh, coming full circle, back to, to the gnome situation, um, anything else with that story, the original story we were talking about between those two people, or is that how the the, the trail went cold, shall we say?
4: That's, when when, when uh, Tammy and Charlie got together and, and drove out to where, where they had lived, um, again of course at separate times, uh, that, that was it.
2: That that's that's the end of, of the story as I know it. So so it makes me wonder. You know, you said that the owner current, whoever the current resident of the house was when they got there, did not want to talk to him. Did she not? Did they not want to talk to him because they had similar experiences and they didn't want to be thought of as crazy, or they thought these people were crazy. It didn't didn't want anything to do with them. And the shed being torn down. Was the shed the genesis of how the gnome, you know, where it lived, how it traveled to this dimension, if it's in another dimension? Or was it a portal and the shed getting torn down? Maybe that just kind of did away with any gnome activity. That's, that's generally how uh, I've been
4: thinking of it. Yeah, once the shed was torn down, it, the, the thing had gone. Um, one, one of the earlier questions uh, somebody had asked uh, was, how, how did it get here? if these things are European, how did it wind up over here? Uh, one of the things that, that I've come to the conclusion, uh, to, uh, people, whenever they travel, whenever they relocate from one continent to the other, they don't just bring themselves and their family and, you know, their photo albums or whatever, they bring their monsters with them. Um, I mean, the banshee is is an Irish legend, and there are banshee stories in in South Dakota. Uh, the Tommyknockers are a um, uh, are from you know that's a Cornwall, England, uh, specifically a minor story for the of the Tommyknockers, and they didn't appear in the United States. We didn't have Tommyknocker stories until. Uh, Pennsylvania coal mines hired Cornish miners to come over and, and mine because apparently they were the best in the world. And then all of a sudden we had Tommyknocker stories in Pennsylvania. And when these miners went to, uh, went to California for the gold rush, we had Tommyknocker stories in California. So either people unwittingly –
3: for our listeners, tell us what a Tommyknocker
4: is. Okay, yeah, sorry. Tommyknockers are little people, more little people the 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 Cornish legend is that they are the souls of the Jewish people who uh, betrayed Jesus. I, I don't know where that comes from, but that's 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 their origin story. What well, what they appear as is little miners, about two two to three feet tall. Uh, they're dressed like miners, um, and and they mine, and they um, also they they will do things mischievous, like they will steal lunches. They will uh, take tools, and you know maybe a week later bring them back. Um, so they 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 do mischievous things like that. But they they will also apparently warn miners if there's going to be a cave in. Um, gotcha. So, so yeah, that's that's what a Tommyknocker is. So if miners were to go go down in, into the mine. And down one passage, hear some knocking that shouldn't be there. The, to them, that's the Tommyknockers telling them not to go down that 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 you know passage today. And um, so, yeah, that's 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 what the Tommyknockers are. But again, it's somebody coming from a different culture over to the United States and bringing their stories of monsters here. Uh, you know, whether that's just stories or whether that be. Um, you know, the, the monsters latching on and, and coming over with them, or something that that I I've been thinking a lot lately um, is that maybe all these monsters uh, and and you know paranormal entities are are the same things, uh, and, and and by that I mean there might be energies out there that will appear to people uh, as whatever the people believe. Um, you know, uh, if if that makes any sense. For example, if you put a lot of of, of mental energy into something, if if you're talking about a specific en- entity, uh, a lot more will start to appear. Um, this happened with with Slenderman, because I mean that it's it's completely fictitious. It was made up for a contest, a creepy pasta contest, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, I talked to some people who were dead serious that they saw this entity at a park or out in the woods and and they they were serious about it and I'm like wait a second but that's made up well if enough energy is put into you know thinking about that entity or talking about that entity something will take its form
0: well um, that
2: kind of, that kind of so that kind of thought is is it goes back to like the original ghostbusters Okay. What scares you the mo- What scares you the most is that what's going to appear as your boogeyman, so to speak. You know, and not everybody's going to think of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man to try the to destroy. Destroyer. But if but yeah. think about it, if something unknown. You know, so so okay, now of course, what's the odds that these two ladies are scared to death of gnomes? Except for the fact that maybe there's a gnome, up, you know, the gnome statue. But what if there's something out there and you that's what you have put to it? Is an evil? Like, you know it's evil. You know it's scary. You know it's not good. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, if it's evil, the only thing I, I'm scared of is gnomes. Or I'm scared of if, you know, it's like people trying to, they see a Bigfoot, and they try to put a bear label on it. Like, it's a crazy-looking bear. I mean, you only know what boxes that you know. And you're trying to put stuff in boxes. What if... Um, you know, that's what you're most fearful of, you know, is a ghost or, or slender man. Well, or, you know, there's a psychological whatever. term out there that
3: they call mass hysteria, and that, you know, that people, um, that people inherit mass hysteria, that, you, that, that it gets passed down through your genetic code, and that people aren't really seeing Bigfoot, this is something, you know, I mean, this yeah. is whatever. But but from an energy standpoint, I think what Jason's trying to say is that look, there is this. We know that look, we can every, that, every, so. Look, everything in the universe is just energy. That that's all it is. When when the universe was created, going back to the singularity, it was red. It was white hot, just pure energy. And the only reason why we actually have physical matter in this world is because when in the big Big Bang, when things started to cool down, elements started to form. And that's how that's how we actually came up with iron is that stars burned so hot that they eventually developed an iron core. When that iron core basically compressed it, you know stars would explode. And, and and so everything is just energy. And you start thinking, well, okay, energy can take many forms. It can manifest in different ways. And can we subconsciously
2: manifest Correct. something?
3: Can we subconsciously take that energy? Because energy, obviously we've talked about this th- yeah. first Real thermodynamics, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It just takes different forms, takes different shapes. Are we able to psychologically have energy manifest itself into these different things? And do these things have some sort of self-conscious or not? Interesting, uh, interesting thought, Jason. That's a, that's an interesting one
4: to throw out. There. Well, yeah, and and um, yes, thanks for putting it in those terms. <laughs> I wasn't going to go off on that, but you know what? I'm glad you did because that 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 was that was eloquent. Um, well, but nothing better than concerned... the
2: Stay Puft Marshmallow Man
4: analogy. Nothing is <laughs> so, better than the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But well, when it comes to you, you mentioned Ghostbusters, um, it Dan Aykroyd, his his dad. Yeah. You know, wrote books on the paranormal. So, so Ackroyd knew, or knows he's still around. But Ackroyd knows a lot about about the paranormal. So when he and Harold Ramis wrote wrote the script for Ghostbusters,
2: you know, a is lot his, of that was is his spot grandfather. On. His grandparents were like some of the first. Like real, truly paranormal investigators, right? It wasn't his dad; it was his grandparents that his. It dad.
4: was his grandparents. Okay, I. I both. Then, then I got it, that.
2: I think it started with his grandparents and went on down through. I believe because he, I've heard him tell Men in Black stories that he's had, um, um, which was a very interesting. Completely off topic, but he was started. He was going to do a. It was either a movie or a documentary on uh, a famous. Alien, like a UFO, and then all of a sudden he, st- as he came out of the meeting, he saw men in black across the street, like following him. You know, so he's had he's very interesting uh, character for sure when it comes to the paranormal. You know. So James, let me ask I, you this: if
3: well, unless you want to keep on with the with this sort of topic,
2: you know? yeah.
4: Well, if, if I could just yeah, I had, I had one one more point about this. Um, it, it has to do with with shadow people and and black eyed kids. And um, I, I saw shadow people when I was when I was young, um, and and nobody else that I knew had ever talked about them until till the '90s when when Art Bell started talking about them. But from the '90s till you know, uh, I, I just till now really. More and more and more people have talked about about shadow people. Um, Black-eyed kids, Brian Bethel, a journalist from Texas, first reported seeing black-eyed kids, I think it was 1998. And then it kind of exploded, and people were seeing them all over the world. You know, which makes me wonder if these two types of entities um, are just taking shape because of... You know, all all the all the thought, all the energy, all the discussion people have had about them. You know, the more more people talked about them, the more they started showing up. Just you just those
3: on, on that. So so there's a there's a creature there's a creature from uh, uh, Louisiana folklore, and I, and I I might just totally mispronounce this, and I do. All of our Cajun listeners out there, feel free to correct me on this. There's a little there's a creature called Paramafe. You familiar with this one, Jason? No, it doesn't doesn't okay. ring a bell. So, so, so Paramafe is this legend, of this creature from the swamp, and it will manifest itself in the image of a person that you trust the most to lure you in. Okay, so. So you're out in the swamp, and you know, and, and there you see your you see your grandmother out there, and, and she's like, "Oh, sweetie, come here." Which in. makes no sense. Which would make no <laughs> sense, but this is the person you trust the most. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I bring that up because if there is an if there is something out there, an energy source that can interpret your thoughts. Your emotions, yeah, we're all screwed. and then manifest itself into a physical form of someone that you would trust the most. Then your theory that these things are manifesting because we are giving them power, because we're giving them that energy, sort of makes sense
4: to me. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's stories like that of you know people being you know lost in the woods, and and all of a sudden they hear. You know, dad yelling at yelling my name, or my best buddy yelling my name. But why are they? Why they're not supposed to be here? Are they looking for me? I'd better go. I'd better go toward the voice. You know, those sort of things, or or babies crying in the woods for no apparent reason. Um, you know, those type of things are you know designed to to get us, you know, put us in in, in a vulnerable position. Um, so I guess my my uh, my suggestion is nobody go in the woods. I guess that's it. <laughs> uh,
2: so 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 I, I so I've got two questions. I, I definitely want to have you answer. So and I think you kind of maybe started by saying that you saw shadow people. Like what started you on this path to, you know, writing the book Chasing American Monsters to having a column uh, that you totally totally ripped off our name from the shadows from. <laughs> Um, right. And then, no, and even then, though
4: you do predate us. Yeah, then, yeah. So, I, I started my column in 2005, I think.
3: Those are just. You got to realize that time, time's not linear. Yeah. So.
2: Not <laughs> in, in, in doing all this research and writing, what would be the one thing that you, if the, if this is true, if what we're talking about is, is, tr- is the way it is, what is the one thing you would do? Desperately not want to see manifested in your life. You know, that would totally uh, be scary. What's your Stay Puff marshmallow, or the antithesis of? The well Stay you know, There was a
3: great, you know, there was a great movie. I don't know if you saw it. Do you guys remember the movie Sphere? Yeah. With Samuel Jackson, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. That was sort of. The there was, was a book movie. written by Michael Crichton. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Remember that's what they were doing. They were manifesting what they feared most. So, okay, so back to Grover's question is, Jason, what would be your biggest fear manifested from all the research that you've done since you've written a book that describes over 250? It
2: describes over 250 of people's worst fears. Yes.
4: Okay, my, my flip answer is to see a clown walking through my hallway in
2: the dark. We can arrange that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Wrinkles
3: the Clown. Remember we, that we, documentary?
2: Yeah, uh, that was... Uh, Chris uh, Hahn.
4: W- was it Boris? Was it, I think it was Boris Karloff. Uh, I could I could be wrong, but I think it was Karloff who said, there's nothing more frightening than a clown at midnight, which is pretty accurate. <laughs> but I, I think for me, uh, when it comes to all these different types of entities, the one that I would not want to see at my front door uh, would be the Black Eyed Kids.
2: Those Uh, things creep me out the most. Yeah, that um, you know we had Nick Redfern on, and he was he was telling some great Black Eyed Kids stories. And you know the crazy thing is, is if they did appear at your front door, I as long as you don't let them in or invite them in, I think you're safe, right? Isn't that right? That's kind of the lore to it. I got that
3: that lore to it.
4: Yeah, I, I'd written uh, written quite extensively on black eyed kids, and I was going to uh, I was going to do a book on it. Uh, and my wife was like, Jason, all these things that you write about, they don't bother me. Black eyed kids bother me. So if you write this book, and and people, and black eyed kids show up at our front door, it's going to be your ass. So. <laughs> I know you know where to pick my battles, and that wasn't what I wanted. But uh,
3: you know, a great prank on Jason would be a
4: show.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would be a great, great prank. T with the black, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into how how physical my dad was with me, but I was the original black-eyed kid. Yeah, so yeah. you know, you know, but that's
4: yeah. Well, the thing, yeah. those. Th- I mean, the things is is not just the the creepy factor, but the unknown, the unknown factor. Uh, Again, yeah, what happens if you do let them in? Uh, I had somebody once tell me maybe, maybe these people who die unexpectedly and, you know, the the doctors can't, you know, die at home unexpectedly and doctors can't figure out why they died. Maybe, maybe these people let
2: the black eyed kids in. Well, can you imagine if you even had like a hint of trouble when you were living alone, an older person? And one of these things knocked on the door and just, I mean, it would be terrifying, you know? I mean, wouldn't that be enough? I'd be enough to send you into cardiac arrest right there, you know?
4: Right. You. Yeah, it, it definitely would. i I, as I was, was, you know, back working on, like I said, starting to work on the book before I abandoned it, I, I, I was contacted by a guy. You know, he definitely could have been yanking my chain, but uh, still, it was pretty creepy, and, and he claimed to be a black-eyed kid, or a black-eyed person, and that their race lives among us, and they are descendants of uh, the Serpent from Genesis. And, oh, mom. Yeah, I, I handed off this person's uh, contact information, and and the emails he sent me, I handed all, all that off to Nick Redfern. I don't know if he I don't think he's done anything with it yet, but but he could. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nick, Nick, yeah, you'd mentioned Nick a couple times. Nick's a great guy. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, he was a great guest. Great guest. And so in your research, what's your creepiest
2: black eyed kid story? I think this guy emailed him
4: that he's a. He's a <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty 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 creepy. That's well, I
2: mean,
3: top that one.
4: Yeah, I I, I think maybe um, the the creepy one is um, this this mom uh, she had three kids, uh, all of them extremely young. Uh, two of them were were toddlers. One where they were twins, they were toddlers. The other one was was just a few months old. And she got a knock on on her door, and she went to it, and there was a little girl, about seven years old, uh, dressed. You know, she was she was dirty. The the dress she was wearing was like 20, 30 years out of date. Uh, she had greasy hair, and and this girl was like, "Would you please let me in? I, somebody's chasing me, and and I'm scared. We, we I, please let me in." And this girl was talking. Uh, you know, just like a normal black kid encounter, if I can say normal, um, mm-hmm. like she was, you know, older than than what she appeared, and and it, it immediately the the woman wanted to let her in because here's a kid about you know seven or what years old, and she said somebody's chasing her. Of course, she wants to call the police. Um, that's one of the one of the reasons I think these entities appear as children because if a child child is in need, it's our you know, it, it, it's our natural instinct to, to help them, and um, you know, like a like a like a, a pitcher plant or, or uh, you know Venus flytrap, you know, having having a sweet scent to gather in the flies. Um, you, you know, what I
3: find but, fascinating about that is that, and, and I and I threw that out there, the sort of the vampiric folklore with it, that there is a correlation between. Vampire lore that you have to invite them in in order to come to your house, and the Black eyed Kids, and and maybe these things have been around a lot longer than the
2: 1990s, like we think. Maybe and, they're an offshoot of well, uh, of certainly the guy told them they're direct descendants of well, serpent yeah. genesis. Well, if we take that guy for his <laughs>
3: word, absolutely. I mean, I mean but, but you think about it. I mean, you think about what I mean. You think about what, what vampires are. Vampires drain you of your energy, your essence, right? Blood. Um, and when you look at some of these black-eyed kid stories, people who claim to have had encounters with them, they feel like they've been emotionally drained. They, they lost time yeah, yeah. and things like that. So yeah. interesting how those two stories somehow mesh a little bit together.
4: Right, right. Well, and you know, when it comes to things in the paranormal and, and, you know, that, that that of course includes everything that I've said it today is it's all just us speculating. It's we're trying to make sense of something that we might not ever be able to make sense of. Um, All we can do is put, try to put the pieces together that we have. And, 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 and when it comes to what you're saying, yeah, right. They, they definitely overlap with, uh, you know, with, with the vampire lore uh, in, in a number of different ways that you spelled out, uh, which, I mean, also, you know, kind of lends credence to what what I was saying earlier, that maybe all these things are the same type of, you know, entity, the same type of energy that's just appearing as,
2: as different things. Well, I'm looking at the cover of your book, Chasing American Monsters, and I'm not sure I want to make sense of what the main goat man is. Yeah. You know, right. I mean so, some
3: of these Look, things I have a fair share of animal husbandry <laughs>
2: knowledge
3: so and uh, I gotta be honest al, you or you know the
2: stuff. goat man there. I you know <laughs> but but that's just it is like some of this stuff like so say that guy calling you, or emailing you what if these things really are direct descendants of the serpent from Genesis? Do we really are we when we want to live our lives knowing that these things are are, are real or is are ignorance real? really truly? Yeah, bliss? sometimes ignorance really is bliss when it comes to some of this stuff.
4: Right? Yeah, I want to be put right back in the matrix if you know if I know that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, we we we've um, talked to some people that, that that that
3: basically believe that there's you know the the we, there's a veil between dimensions and. On one side of the veil is, you know, our daily world. And on the other side of that veil is all these creatures and cryptids and things like that. And that these things are able to cross over into our veil. They, they pass through the, you know, because there's all these talk about orbs, people seeing orbs, you know, associated with Bigfoot, Dogman, different things like that, that these things are just energy, you know, that they cross through this energy field. Into our into our realm via you know orbs and energy. So, if that's true, I really don't want to be on the other side of that veil.
4: Right. I mean, well, and that's that's something that's been been batted around for a while. The uh, you know famed paranormal uh, investigator John Keel uh, called them window areas. That because a lot of a lot of encounters. Tend to happen in the same place you know like all the Mothman in and and there's some goat man and uh what's the other one um there's another entity in in west virginia around point pleasant you know that would be a window area a lot of weird things happen in in certain parts of pennsylvania i don't know if you've had stan gordon on before but but he no. he's a, he's a he's been researching the paranormal in pennsylvania since the 60s and um, You know, there are spots there. There, you know, there, there, there are places where these things tend to occur. So, I mean, well, you know, yeah, are, are there a couple of couple of dimensions that overlap? Very well, could be. I mean that would that would that would answer a lot of a lot of questions.
3: Well, you know, you you go back to like the whole Midsummer's Night's Eve folklore. This goes back to Iceland or Scandinavian listeners that on Midsummer's Night's Eve, the summer solstice that that is when the veil between our realm and the other realm is at its thinnest. It's the same thing with uh, the whole, uh, the 3 a.m. And it was interesting because, Jason, that the article you wrote about the gnomes, I noticed that the one lady's first uh, encounter with the gnome was at 3 a.m., which is, you know, the... the, the That's the witching hour. hour. The <laughs> witching hour, and it, it is at that time that the veil between our world and the other world is at its thinnest and and things like that, so...
2: And I do find the the and I wanted to mention about the whole gnome thing is is that the similarity in the fact that the one people had a cat's rear you know the rear bit off the rear end basically of the cat. Yep. And then the other and then they saw it bite off the head. Head of a koi. So I mean that's a behavior that I mean yeah. I, you wouldn't just think oh, I saw a gnome and it bit off the back end of a cat. And a bit off the head of it. I mean, that part of the story, mm-hmm. if you're telling a story and you're not a science fiction writer or a horror author, that's kind of gruesome to come up for the normal yeah. person to just throw out there and. Yeah, um, just to make up. Yeah, to just say, right. oh, no, by the way, it, I mean, I can't even imagine. I, going into this interview, I never thought we'd be talking about the back end of Cat being a bit off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just, <laughs> just kind of is really an abrupt thing to, to, yeah, to throw out there to throw out. But, uh, but Jason, this has been, I, I think we could continue this conversation for two more hours. And oh, easy. Be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I know it's, it's, you know, we got you up early to do this and we appreciate you coming on, but I want to give you a chance to talk about, you mentioned to us before it we went on, you had a new novel come out. So if you want to talk a little bit about some of your, new books, some of your old books where people can go check you out, uh, and follow you and see what, uh, see what you're up to next. All right. Well, yeah, I, uh,
4: my, my, novel, um, I've always, I've, I'm a smart ass, uh, by nature. And generally whenever I write, I, I put humor in, 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 things. Uh, there was some of that in chasing American monsters. Uh, my, um, uh, my novel that came out this summer. Um, it's uh, so you had to build a time machine it is it, a humorous look at time tra- at time travel uh and i put it, it, it it's a lot of fun it's got quite a bit of quite a bit of good reviews and it's uh it's it's out there it's you know at barnes and noble and uh it's available on the amazon and and fun places like that um uh, books i've written five books on the paranormal and and two uh, two of them um, I just found out on Friday, uh, the publishing company that that put them out is going going out of business. So those books within the next few months are not going to be available anymore. But they are right now. One of them is Haunted Missouri, a ghostly guide to the show me state's most spirited spots. Uh, what I tried to do with that is make a tour guide for haunted places. And every place in the book uh, people can go to. It's not like somebody's private residence. If they want to go experience the ghost themselves, they can. It might cost $15 bucks, uh, to get into the Muttwink the <laughs> yeah, right. cave, but you can go there. Uh, the other one is called What Lurks Beyond, the Paranormal in Your Backyard. For, for that one, um, I put a pin in a map uh, at a string that measured out 100, 100 miles, uh, and I drew a circle around my house, and I investigated everything paranormal I could find, and I I found a mind-reading dog, uh, ghost stories, uh, demon possession, uh, Mike Markham's time machine, if that rings a bell with anybody, uh, a couple of famous UFO cases, and they were all within 100 miles of my house. And, you know, if those things are within 100 miles of my house, those same things are within 100 miles of yours, too. So, so get out there and look. But anyway, those two books won't be available anymore after a couple of months.
3: So if I could get an autographed
4: <laughs> copy of that, what you're saying is it'll be out of print, be worth
3: a lot of money.
4: Well, I'm not saying that part, but if it gets you to buy one, I am saying that part.
2: <laughs> well, I think with, um, with Christmas coming up, those would be two great stocking stuffers, especially for uh, Midwestern people. Um, yeah. To to get a hold of before they do go out of print because those sound like some pretty cool uh pretty cool books you know. Especially. Yeah, it'll be like
3: the uh, the novel Escape from New York is out of print, and if you can get it. By the way, just for knowledge, uh, the first novel that I ever read, actual novel, okay. was Escape from New York, Snake Pliskin. Do you have it since it's
2: out of print? Is it somewhere
3: in a box? And, and I've tried to buy it. I went on, I went on, and, and yeah, there's people selling them for 300 bucks a copy. Holy smokes. Because it's
2: out of print, you can't get it. Jason, so maybe Jason's You might just booked. want to buy up the remaining inventory and start yeah creating the demand yourself. Correct. Online. If this doesn't do yes, it. Um, that's all I can say. I mean, you're doing a great sales pitch for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so, Jason, how can people uh, do you have a website? Do you have social media that people can um, come follow you at and ask you questions? Are you open for people to um, get a contact you or not? I mean, do, we yeah, like absolutely, absolutely. Do, do you not want us to put your phone number up on our social media? I
4: mean, You know what? That would be great if you did not put my phone number up.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a little late. I put it on the roadside.
3: address. <laughs> said, for good time, I, call Jason.
4: Yeah. I've got, uh, oh, boy, well, they'd be disappointed. Um, I, I've got a really uh, website. For, it's yes. <laughs> it, it's jasonoffit.com. Uh, I've got contact information there I got my email address uh, and that's about it no phone number no no, no ah. mailing address but but there's also links to all my books and uh, uh, I've got some articles on writing I've got some uh, science fiction or horror and horror short stories up there um, so yeah if anybody needs to get a hold of me or wants to check out my books go to jasonoffit.com
0: all
2: right all right and we'll put a in and- our Jason the super producer he'll put a link up in the in the podcast so that people can go right there to it and a link to uh, to be able to buy your books so but we appreciate awesome. Jason you coming on with us is great I, we love the gnome story because we're with you in the fact that these stories are all over the world especially the little especially the little people stories and whether you call them gnomes elves, Puck wedgies. puck wedgies, fairies, whatever. Um, I mean, those are older stories than almost anything else. They're older than every country in yeah. the world. That's so great. to us, to us the you know these are these are stories that have a lot more credence to, than Right. said hey, them. I saw the Slender Man. Yeah, hey, I saw the Slender Man. So uh, we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and with our listeners some of these stories and uh, everybody go check out Jason's Jason's website. Buy some of those books, buy that book, put it in your bathroom. All
4: right. Hey guys, I really appreciate you having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. Thank you. Thanks Jason. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good day.
1: Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the, from the shadows podcast until next time never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows we are out